Welcome to Around the Table. Today, learn why understanding that Jesus was fully God and fully man is so important. Gain a deeper appreciation for who the Holy Spirit is, and listen to reflections on how meditating on the majesty of our triune God is humbling and deeply rewarding. We are going to continue our look at the Trinity and Today we are going to spend some time looking into what's sometimes referred to as Christology, um, Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man or fully human. And I'm Tom Walbezer. With me is uh, Herb Knuckle and Tony Mance, and we've had the wonderful privilege of studying the Trinity together, and we are going to continue that uh, reflection and sharing with you just uh, of what we have taken away from that and uh, so we're going to start with some of the topics here with Christology and then move into some uh, personal reflection. Brothers, what's on your heart? So when we think about God, the one God whom we serve being expressed in three persons, we recognize there's mystery there that we just have to receive in faith. Now we're being asked to think about Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, as completely and fully human, like you and me, and completely and fully God, like nothing that you and I can completely comprehend. Now, that is a big ask. But as we do that, we begin to realize the wonder and the mystery of the advent of Jesus Christ on this earth. So let's start with the concept of Jesus being fully God. Colossians 1, we read that, and he, referring to Jesus Christ, is before all things, and by him all things consist. So that's a statement that Jesus Christ, as God, upholds the world, that he continued to do that. Even in his incarnation, his time on the earth, he continued as God to sustain all things. Interestingly, and this has really been a a, a beautiful discovery for me is to realize that Jesus, the person of Jesus, didn't leave anywhere in order to come to the earth. He did come to the earth. We, we have that testimony by scripture, but he continued to be the God of all. And why is that important? It's important because only the divine God could achieve victory over death. Only the divine God could be sinless. To think about, you know, that person, Jesus Christ, continue to possess all the essential attributes of God, including infinity, uh, both in in time and space. As we reflect on him being fully God in all the ways that uh, you articulated, Tony, we brings us uh, understanding of, of the power and of the, the victory, as you said. But then we also look at the humanity side, because we can easily um, be swallowed up in the fully God. And um, so therefore, you know, no pain, no, you know, all the things we think about heaven and God (laughs) and not experiencing. But Jesus, the Bible clearly tells us, experienced everything in his humanity as we did. Experienced pain, suffering, loneliness, rejection all of those aspects of his humanity that hard for us to reconcile that the God man (laughs) uh, would um, experience that on the human side of things. But scripture clearly articulates that he did. So down through history, 
we've had people attempting to reconcile those two and somehow diminishing Christ's godness and their their peers and their fellows would denounce that idea as heresy or we'd have people trying to diminish his humanness and uh, it's a temptation because we as human beings don't like that how can it be both because they are so different um, and that's part of this study has been helped me to say no that is what we're being asked to do that is faith and it's okay so you think about what you just described, both of you brothers described so beautifully. I think about Jesus, humanity in the garden where the dread of knowing the future was so great and how often you and I have dreaded the future, not knowing what Jesus knew. And so that, that the human side of him in sweating drops of blood and pleading with the father, we see his human side. On the other hand, we see him reading people's minds so to speak. What I pray, I pray in silence. I trust God knows exactly what I'm saying, even though not a word is uttered. And then we see Jesus perceiving people's thoughts and we wonder, okay, as Tony said, he was upholding the earth. He is fully God at that moment. It's really a, a difficult and yet a beautiful concept. So again, we can ask, why does it matter that Jesus was fully human? Well, really we've learned there's a, there's a few a uh, few things that, that require that. He needed to die, and only a human could die. God, God could not die in his divinity. He had to die in his human body. Um, there's, a, there's a saying that we really have appreciated that says that what is not assumed or taken into Christ as human is not fully healed. So we get power over human sin, human death, because Jesus Christ was fully human and defeated it. We also have learned, as you talked, Brother Herbie, about uh, this one person having these two natures, that it's also not only acceptable, but quite scriptural to combine in a single sentence something that could be done only in his humanity was something that could have been done only in his divinity. So I'll give you an example. First Corinthians 2, 8, it says, which none of the princes of this world knew for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So we're talking about the human crucifixion of the divine God. And since they are united in the person of Jesus Christ, that's an acceptable statement according to the Bible. And as we talked about, maybe um, some listened to the first episode of Trina, we talked about uh, some of the ditches or some of the, you know, the boundaries, if you will, and the importance for us as uh, we think about the Trinity. I think this is one of the important things for us to internalize and to walk through. And, and Herbie, you just re referenced it a minute ago about some of the um, extremes that people have gone to to try to rationalize this in their mind and therefore they end up in heresy because they elevate one aspect and at the expense of the other. And so I think it's important for us um, as we live out our, our Christian lives to think about the both and, and how this manifests itself. It's easy, I think, at least for me and maybe for some of how we think, to kind of elevate one of, over the other as we think through Jesus and what he has done. And I think for me personally, 
studying this uh, topic has really helped bring into focus the the both and and how we have to hold that really loosely in some sense um, instead of trying to to understand every aspect of that and yet to know that as you articulated Tony this is the foundation of our salvation I mean if, if Jesus did not die uh, we are still in our sins as the apostle wrote to the Corinthian church I mean that um, we're of all men most miserable if our hope is only here and uh, we only have hope through the resurrection of Jesus uh, from the dead. So, so brother Herbie, can you take us into some thoughts about the Holy spirit as God? Yeah, that's another beautiful topic. So it's fascinating how the Holy spirit or actually in new Testament writings uh, in the King James version, they use the word ghost, Holy ghost. They're one and the same word in the Greek. And, uh, but it's interesting how mysterious that one part, an amazing, obviously, of God, is um, obscure in some ways in Scripture. I was uh, I noted in our study that uh, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind things of me and will glorify my name. And you recognize that so often we focus on Jesus as Christians. Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says no man can say that Jesus is the Son of God except by the power of the Holy Spirit. So think about that. Every time you said Jesus is the Son of God, that is the Spirit in you inspiring and making that statement. It's uh, He is, and that's one thing about the Holy Spirit. I like to try. I don't do it all the time, but I like to give him the pronoun he as a person. Um, we don't often talk about a person as it. Maybe sometimes we talk about a baby as it. I don't know. But normally we talk about a person in that frame. And I try just because I want to recognize him as a person. Yeah, that was uh, reinforcing to me too, uh, Herbie, as we studied this is the reality. I remember years ago a preacher emphasizing that point, And when he did the fact that we should refer to the Holy Spirit as he, it really hit me as like, uh, wow, I never really thought about that aspect in that way because we do often. The spirit can become somewhat inanimate almost of, uh, of uh, and, you know, sometimes knowingly or not by calling it it, maybe we are reinforcing that. I don't know, but that, I agree. It really reinforced that aspect. And, and also sometimes um, we can look at the Holy Spirit when we read John 14 or others where Jesus said, you know, when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's some, you know, that interpret that, that that's when the Holy Spirit, quote, became active. Um, and I know that's obviously from looking at all scripture, we've just articulated that that's, that's not true, but it is a ditch that, that can be there. But he very clearly, as we saw in Genesis 1-2 and in other scriptures, was... Um, eternally present, eternally active, eternally a part of the Godhead. So uh, anyway, beautiful. And, and in addition to that, I don't mind my adding, the mystery of Jesus being fully God and fully man is truly amazing. But there's another mystery here of the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in me and being somehow a part of who I am. So that in 1 Corinthians 6, if I do something wrong or sinful that I, the Bible says, I've taken the Holy Spirit into this place and 
caused him to do it with me. That's another mystery that I haven't pondered much, but think about what that means. He is in you in a profound and real way and not part-time. That ought to affect our lifestyle, I would think. And what's fascinating to me is as the Holy Spirit works, one of, one of the things that he does is he proclaims the name of Christ. We can read, and, and no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. And so we see not only the Holy Spirit as God, but we see him uh, glorifying the Godhead by glorifying the person of Jesus Christ. I think at this time, brothers, we're ready just for personal reflections. How has this study of the Trinity affected you? What are some key thoughts you'd like to leave us with? You start, Tony. I'll do that. You brothers are going to remember me doing this multiple times in our 12 or so weeks of discovery. I want to take you on a journey, brothers. I want you to come along with me and and follow my thinking on this. I want to start with... Moses at the burning bush and his request that as he was talking to God, he says, and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And he all, he answered in several different ways, but the one I want to focus on is in verse 15 where, and God said moreover unto Moses that thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. So I want to back up and say, when it says the Lord, God of your fathers, that's a specific name. We often hear it pronounced differently. I'm going to choose to use Jehovah. We find it in the Old Testament in all caps. And interestingly enough, other than words like a and the, it's the most common word in the Bible, the name of God. We go to Deuteronomy 6. We've referenced it already. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. If I restate that for you, Jehovah our God is one Jehovah. There's only one. But then we read in Isaiah 45, and I'm building the case here. You're going to see where I'm going. God is telling some things about himself, um, saying, Have not I the Lord? Have not I, Jehovah, done these things? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. So the knees will bow to Jehovah. The tongue will swear to Jehovah. And then finally, last Old Testament reference, Isaiah 42. I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. That is my name and my glory will I not give to another. So you have that Old Testament affirmation of God. And then you come to Philippians 2. I think you knew where I was going with this. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, Jesus Christ, and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We, We often encounter that Lord as a replacement word for Jehovah, to the glory of God the Father. And then we just mentioned how no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So here we have an affirmation that has just filled my heart with praise that Jesus Christ is exalted 
to the glory of the Father because exalting Jesus is not another. His glory he will not give to another. That Jesus Christ is Lord, the one God. And as I think about that, it just always gives me chills to know the scripture validates this view that there are three persons who are one God. It's just been a joy. Tony, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. I, there's a verse that uh, I think reflects a little bit of my journey <laughs> uh, as we've had the privilege of, of contemplating, of study, of reflection, of articulating in some regards, uh, as at least um, in some teaching. And, and obviously today we're, we're only scratching the surface of, of what that was. But the, there's an encounter in John 14, 9, uh, where Jesus and is talking to one of his disciples, and um, he, you know, said, "Show us the Father," you know, um, and that would be enough. Jesus answered and said to him, "Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me?" And you know, Philip said, "Show us the Father," and that's enough. And and I think that's reflects a little bit of my journey. It's like I've been a Christian for uh, and a believer for many years, but in this sense. I have, I believe, drawn nearer and, and understand better and known our great God, the one God in three persons, better through this study. And so it has been uh, a, a really a joy, as um, was expressed in our previous session, just of the fellowship, of the connection that we've had together and studying together. Sometimes we're scratching our head and pulling our hair out, trying to understand some deep things. And other times we just sit back in, in awe and wonder of what he has done and how he has revealed himself. And, and that we have the privilege of, by faith, believing, accepting, and then walking in it. And so it, it has been definitely one of the, the joys of my journey, um, certainly recently, to, to share in this and to just experience his love, his care and to know him better. And by doing so, we can worship and praise him. As we wrap this up, I think about, um, there's a few motivations for humility. Obviously, one would be the fact that I am a sinner. It's probably the lowest um, motivation to be humble, although it's very meaningful. And, and uh, then I also sometimes debase myself and think about how weak and, and how, you know, I'm not perfect in so many ways about not sin, but just not capable. And so there's other motivations for humility. But the most powerful and the most meaningful is as I really search, and it's fascinating how Jesus said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it will be open to you. So we ask, who, who are you, Lord? And how have how hast thou revealed thyself to us? And when we exalt God as much as we possibly can with our finite minds to the place he deserves, that is a motivation for humility that is really meaningful. It's not self-debasing. We were told, we're told in, in Philippians that we should have the mind of Christ who said, I'm equal with God. Well, I'm not suggesting by any means that we are equal with God, but we are in his image. So it's not self-debasing. It's God exalting. And this study of the Trinity has done that for me in a way that um, I couldn't even imagine before we started. And then last, as I realize how, what an amazing 
job God has done in his word of revealing himself to us. Now, it's not without mystery, but as we embrace the mystery and thank him for the things that he has showed us, these brothers have gone through scripture after scripture, and it's an amazing revelation of God himself to us, his followers. And again, as we ask, as we put forth effort to learn, we must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. And I, in this study, have found myself very rewarded in just coming a little bit closer to my God. And I trust that it will change my life, not just now, but in the future. Thanks for listening. Around the Table is available on AC Central and now also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Pocket Casts. It is a production of Onward Media, a communications ministry of the Apostolic Christian Church.